Hello, welcome to the third series of A Seat at the Table, a podcast bringing together feminism, dinner parties, music and food. I'm Alex, your host, the creator of Spare Ribs Club, an intersectional feminist book and supper club, which explores feminism and social justice through literature, art, music and food. Each episode, I invite our guests to take us through their perfect feminist dinner party, three feminist icons as dinner guests, three courses and three tunes being played on repeat. This week, I'm very pleased to welcome Kemi Lawson. Kemi is a co-founder and creative director of The Cornrow, an Afrocentric home and lifestyle store which has featured in Elle Decoration, The Guardian, Telegraph, Red Magazine and Stylist. She's a collector of African and uh, diaspora stories and material treasures, working as a curator for the Museum of the Home on a Black Home installation. She's also collaborated with the National Trust and the Arts Fund on content regarding black homes and has written articles on Afrocentric interior design for a range of magazines. She is Black British with Jamaican and Nigerian heritage and traced her Caribbean ancestry to 1780 when her six times great grandmother Minerva survived the Middle Passage and arrived in Jamaica. Her home has been featured in media including The Guardian, Harper's Bazaar, 25 Beautiful Homes, House Beautiful and the Sunday Times style section. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So let's get started. Which three guests are you inviting over for your dream feminist dinner party? Okay, so for my dream feminist dinner party, I'm inviting three three feminists who I have a very proud and wonderful um, feeling for, um, emotion for. Um, the first one, I go in order of when they were born. The first one I'm actually related to, it's a lady called Bess. Now Bess is my three times great grandmother and I was able to trace her through the wonders of genealogy and ancestry.com and, and other family members who are interested in that. And she was enslaved in a plantation in St. James, Jamaica and ran away. She ran away um, when she was about 49 years old, which I just think is an incredible act of resistance and courage and bravery. And if anyone is an amazing feminist to admire, I think it must be Bess. And I would just love to spend time in her company. So Bess would certainly be at the head of the table um, sharing her stories. Um, the next one is a lady called Fumilayo Ransom Kuti. Now, she is a Nigerian feminist. Um, she was born in 1900, and she's the mother of a singer you might have heard of called Fela, who was a huge activist singer um, of, of, in, in Nigeria. She was also a feminist. She was an organizer. She was a very brave woman, and she had a lot of firsts, which I think is always great. She was the first woman to drive in Nigeria. She was the first woman to go to um, grammar school, um, a prestigious grammar school in Nigeria. She just had a lot. And she also organized and created women's groups. She was quite posh, but she encouraged people from all social classes to join these women groups and kind of resist. Mm. She's my second one. And finally, I have Olive Morris, who is a Black British, also Caribbean, um, from, from Jamaica, came to England as a child. She was born in 1952 and was a leader, a resistance, a fighter um, um, for Black British, particularly civil rights in the UK in the 70s. She died, died tragically early in her early 30s. Before that, she made a massive impact. From And I think one thing that unites all three women is bravery. And Olive Morris is famous for, for um, interceding in a 
incident that happened when a Nigerian diplomat was being arrested by the police for he was driving a nice car and the police were um you know thought he stole the car and was um were were beating him up and all of was 17 and joined in to defend this lady and also got beaten up and arrested and that of course was um was very um known at the time and later on she was very also very um, probably but with squatters rights and I'm um, as you could say from my bio I'm very interested in homes and what homes means and she led squatters movements you know seeing so much homelessness where she lived in so many empty homes and it seemed natural to her that this was unfair and so she wrote something called a squatter well part of a people who wrote uh, the squatters handbook which you can see today it's got a wonderful picture of her kind of climbing up a ladder to kind of <laughs> go squat in the house and, and actually was very successful in kind of negotiating how these empty houses could help solve um, the homeless problem. So I've, as you said, got African, Nigerian and Caribbean heritage. My ladies also do, and they're all very brave. And if I could just be in their presence and gain a bit of their resistance and revolutionary energy, I would be thrilled. I mean, wow, that's a, that's a, such a amazing trio of people, especially your um, three times great grandmother. She, <laughs> she sounds <laughs> fantastic. And what an amazing um how amazing to be able to trace your ancestry back to a really strong incredible woman that's um yeah that that's a powerhouse of a dinner party (laughs) (laughs) so uh where is this dinner party taking place okay the dinner party is taking place in the future i love one reason i loved your questions is that um i'm quite interested in afrofuturism and designing alternate realities and not being trapped or restrained by just being today and all the problems we see today so i love how i've got people past and present and i lo- don't see why i need to have this dinner party now i'm going to have it in about four years time when i hope my house my dream home is built in africa I'm not sure where I want it. I don't usually like using Africa as a collective word, but I like to talk about <laughs> countries, but I'm not sure. It's going to be made of mud, not concrete, which is very important to me. I did an Instagram post recently about the genius of mud huts and how they've been unfairly maligned. The one is a wonderful, wonderful building material. It's going to be made of mud. It's going to look absolutely warm and welcoming and full of heritage. And I'm going to have a circular dinner table decolonializing dinner tables they shouldn't be rectangle they should be circular to encourage communal sharing of bread so we're all going to be on it together and we're going to have a a lovely meal there amazing and what are the three tunes that are being played on repeat all evening yes so we are going to be talking about a revolution um to quote one of the songs which is by tracy chapman um, so that's definitely going to be there. Um, we're not going to just trade war stories and talk about how we can kind of heal or come together in today's environment. We're going to look to the future and how we can change things. So that's going to be going. Um, so talking about revolution by Tracy Chapman. So proud to see her recently at the, at the Grammy singing her, you know, fast car and just great that she's getting a bit of, of a renaissance. The next one, again, is a track by Bob Marley, who, of course, is a great resistance revolutionary. Now, when I listened to Bob Marley when I was younger, I listened to, you know, his beautiful songs of This Love and Three Little Birds and things like that. And I wasn't aware of his more revolutionary songs, which weren't kind of, you know, as immediately accessible. And, and I recently went to the theatre to, um, to see a wonderful play called Jamaica, Jamaica Love about the history of Jamaica from from probably from best basically to, to now and they played war by Bob Marley and the hairs of the back of my head um 
stood an end and he said, you know, until things are fair, we have to be in a state of war. You know, we can't be complacent. We can't just accept. We can't even just try and do our best within current society. We have to have change. And it, it, it made a big impact on me. And because we're going to be dancing as well as as debating and resisting, uh, there's a lovely song that, again, I heard for the first time at this play called Jamaica Love. And it's called Black is the Colour. And it's by a group called Brown Sugar. And it's, they're kind of, a, I think they're a British Caribbean group in the 80s. She's got a wonderful voice, just piercing. Please do, do listen to it. And it's about the colour black and it's how black is the colour of, of my skin and, 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 and glorifying that. And, and it's funny because your colour of your skin is both the most un, both important and the least important thing about a person. It's such a paradox. You know, at the end of the day, it's just about melanin and that's the only difference between between me and you. And in fact, we, you know, we all know there's more genetic diversity within the black race than say between an average black person and an average white person. So it's literally just a bit of melanin. But then of course, it's also tied into your culture and your heritage and your experience and your ancestors. And it's incredibly important and it's incredibly part of how important of how I of how I live. And so this song glorifying this is just, you know, I find it very touching. And I think they would love it too and would have a good sway to the beat <laughs> fantastic those are three brilliant tunes that you've chosen um so the music's playing you're sitting in your dream home somewhere in africa um what are you serving first for your starter now i've been very cheeky i hope you, i hope you let me do this um <laughs> I've got the greatest table of all time and a beautiful home, great songs, and two of the people I'm closest to are my mum and my sister. And so I put their signature dishes, <laughs> which only they can cook, as my main as my um dessert and starter. So the starter, my sister Lloyd, is what we call the an everything salad. First of all, mind boggled me because she had like apples in it and all sorts. I don't even know what her secret everything is in there and the dressing, and it's always delicious. And so she'd have to come and create her everything salad. And then my mum brings up Rhea with her rice pudding, which she which she's made. She, she hasn't made it in a long time. This was actually great to remember. I'm going to harass her, but she definitely made it a lot as a child. And of course, nothing's really more comforting than your mum, you know, mum's rice pudding at the end of the day. And then in between, tip food, there's a restaurant in London called Ikoi, um, which is a Nigerian, it was one of the first actually kind of high-end Nigerian restaurants in London. And it really took the world by storm, you know, hard to get a table and all that. And and what they did, which I just thought was so great, is they took all our kind of traditional Yoruba Nigerian food and kind of gastroed it. <laughs> you know, we serve it traditionally, you know, big stews, big bowls, big mounds of rice, you know, bright colours, but I always thought it didn't look the most kind of delicate aesthetic. And they've just kind of just, you know, I don't use the word refined, but, you know, they've just distilled the flavours and the taste and the textures in a really modern way. And and as you said, from the my Brian brain to kind of a modern Afrocentric aesthetic, and I think that's what they're doing with food and they recently got a Michelin star in fact one of a few Nigerian restaurants have got them recently and it was so great to see them um to see them doing so well and the name Ikoi is actually where I grew up when I spent my childhood in Nigeria so it's lovely to see that you know in London so yeah that's the food I hope the guests will enjoy it 
<laughs> that's lovely and I will allow the um your sister and your mum being there because they must cook those two dishes exactly <laughs> um I mean that's a delicious menu what drinks are you serving is it um alcoholic non-alcoholic is there something specific that you want to um serve your guests yes so we're not going to stay on this earthly plane during the dinner we are <laughs> going to be in a spiritual one and so there's two ways that I want to assess this spiritual energy. And one is through alcohol. Um, but, you know, something, some kind of local brews, I think I'm sure both, I'm sure all three women have some ideas on that. Um, we have something in Nigeria called Ogogoro and, and palm wine. And I know Jamaicans have their own rum. So something like that to get to loosen us up, maybe if needed. And then the other thing is, maybe you could even help me with the pronunciation of this, but it's something I've been looking at. It's like the Mexican, the ahuasca, some kind of ceremony that you kind um, of drink something. And ahuas can... Ahuasca? Yes, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Yeah. I would love to do that with these ladies or some kind of psychedelic mushrooms or something. I've never done any of that before. None of my, all my friends run a mile when I start talking about it, but I've just heard <laughs> wonderful things about how it just opens you open to a new dimension. I think since we are talking about revolution and creating new world orders, I think it'd be a wonderful way to help us um, to help us work it out. Wow, I mean, that's a, a pretty stonking kind of a dinner party that you're gonna um, have a, a spiritual journey with these three brilliant women. Um, what, so, so with the kind of something psychedelic has been taken, uh, you've had some Jamaican rum, maybe a Nigerian uh, alcoholic drink. The food's been eaten. This amazing music is being played. And what's happening next? What kind of conversations are you having? Are you dancing? Yeah, what what's kind of, how's the dinner party um, transforming? Wow, well, I think I see it in two, two, two phases. Learning and doing. I think the first stage, I really think we all want to learn from each other and and learn how, you know, how you see life, how you've transversed life, how as a black woman have you survived, you know, how what what, what what's important to you? Tell me, just tell me about yourself, you know, just just really learning. We're all three women from very disparate times and locations. And, you know, as I said about color, the only we're all united by being black women and oppressing you know, oppressing, oppressive source, you know, resisting oppression, that's it. So learning, I think. And of course, I will be doing the least amount of talking and just absorbing <laughs> from these wonderful women. And then the next part, I think, as I said, is doing. I think one thing I feel very strongly about is that even now post B11 and everything, we love, people love to talk. Oh, tell me what's wrong. Tell me, you know, how can I change corporate culture? How can we, you know, change nhs education all these things but i'm all a bit tired you know how can the the, the politics and all the reports that they do analyze and and you know and, and analyzing this and it's just we're tired of talk like we all know these problems exist and the talking is a distraction as tony morrison said racism acts as a distraction and you know we want to actually work you know we want to actually create solutions and maybe that solution isn't about oh let's work with x institutions see how they can give us a seat at the table you know maybe the solution is a new table maybe you know some, some creating something new so it would be the do it the doing part that i'm we would then naturally move move into mm. so 
your dinner party, what time do you think it's ending? Or do you think this is something that goes on all night into the, <laughs> the early hours? Yeah, I don't, yeah, I would never want to, you know, I, I would be reluctant to part with these women and I would hope it would end at a, on an open note, you know, I hope it would end that we will meet again. You know, I don't think this life is necessarily the end. I don't think so. I'm very hopeful that when I pass, not that I'm in any rush to, that I will meet um, these women. And yeah, so I think it would be very open-ended whether, as Erica Bedu says, you know, see you in the next lifetime, maybe it will be that, but, you know, open-ended. So Time is a construct. <laughs> leaving your dinner party kind of open-ended. Yes. Um, I'd love to talk to you a bit more about your work and, and, and that side of things. How does your feminism intersect with the work that you do, perhaps in a way that others maybe wouldn't see straight away, given, you know, you're um, kind of on Instagram and mm. you work on interior design and people might not associate that side of work with um, kind of feminism and, and that side. I think it is in, in terms of when I search for stories, I mean, a lot of my work is kind of look is is searching for stories and researching and finding out about things. <laughs> you know, a lot of this history, even these women, they're not taught taught at school. I mean, I was listening to a podcast on Ransom Kuti. She's not even taught in Nigerian schools. You know, Olive Morris, you know, what, what I'd never learned. So it's all through, and it's, I just speak, it's a lot of feminists who will say that, you know, we, at school we learn about, the Tudors as my daughters are doing now and stuff which is great but you know not necessarily the most relevant history so it's all about seeking and and self and have to, having to be having to be you know interested yourself and I think that's that the stories I search for bias towards female stories and stories of people who have been who have been overlooked and these are stories either in terms of say the art that we share in Cornwall you know so celebrating female artists or the books you know got a wonderful book about the mothers of Malcolm X who was it? Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, and I can't remember the third. I think James Baldwin. Anyway, their mothers and their impact, you know, which is a, which is a very popular book. So, it, and so it's in the yes, it's in uncovering stories. I mean, you mentioned interior design. You know, that's traditionally thought of as a female art, and I always feel the female arts are never considered as scientific or as you know rigorous as as other arts. So, kind of profiling that and talking about how important that is and how impactful it is on our day to day life. I think is a feminist act and um yeah I mean I think that's a it's a great point that comes up often with um within this podcast and within the club uh mm -hmm. in terms of kind of dinner parties and and a lot of our uh community you know a lot of our meetings are within uh the home normally my home um and it, we do things like life drawing and for floristry workshops that are considered very feminine and mm. often aren't taken as seriously so it's a really good point about how things mm. like the home can actually be a really powerful space especially for women mm. I mean how do you feel exactly. that more widely the home and interior design can play an important role in intersectional feminism particularly in relation to race yes so so many ways um First of all, it's a safe space, you know, I, that is that if you speak to most black people about their homes, that was one of the first things that they would come up with. You know, I've told you the story of, of Olive Morris, age 17, so many that, you know, you know, your home is your solace when you go out into the world, 
whether it's act active racism or microaggressions or just being a minority, even if you just have a normal day, just being an extreme minority, you know, your home is a place where you're not, you know, you're safe and you're not, you, you're, 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 the, you're the master of the four walls. So that's very important psychologically. Um, the other way I see home is a custodian for your culture and your history, you know, I, I don't judge, but I always love to see homes where they have, you know, art from wherever you're from or or textures or colours that kind of represent your identity. That's certainly how I've decorated my home. And so I used it as kind of like a space where you can, yeah, a custodian for your heritage and somewhere to show it off um, yeah. is important. So, yeah, there's lot, there's other ways as well, but there's, it's... um. Also, you know, it could be a place for, for for meeting, for active, for resistance. It has traditionally been used like that within, the, say, the Caribbean and other communities in the UK. You know, a place to to meet. So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's an infinite number of possibilities. Mm. And for your work, what's kind of next on the agenda for you over the next year or so? Yes. So my work's divided two two ways. First of all, as we mentioned, we have the cornrow. We're so excited. That's me and my sister, Lara. And we're creating modern Afrocentric home accessories and home and ways that people can decorate that house in ways that present them. And it's wonderful because it's not only us that love this art. We have such a great crossover audience. People just seek things that kind of resonate for them and, and, and they like their energy. So providing that in the cornrow and seeing that grow. And then secondly, um, the black home is a very important concept for me and curating those stories, sharing those stories on Instagram, hopefully also sharing them in printed format coming up. And yeah, bringing those, bringing like bringing those hit memories, bringing those stories to life. For instance, Olive Morris is, is one of the, I consider her part of the black home through that squatting movement. So people wouldn't necessarily think of her that way, think of her maybe as a feminist, but I think she had a lot of things to say about feminism in the home as well. So bringing those connections together and, and sharing them brilliant um I always ask my my guests one final question sure which is what are you doing on an everyday basis in a small way to become a better feminist either for yourself or for those around you um I think for me it's just doing the work doing you know sh showing doing putting your neck out <laughs> But, you know, doing the work, putting your neck out there, sharing your what you found for other people to to enjoy. You know, I have two young daughters and I'm so conscious of how they're looking at me and, and, and modeling me. And they they see me, you know, they see what I'm doing. They see what I'm sharing. They're seeing what I'm so passionate about. And although they're, 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 they're at the age now where it's more met with eye rolling than tell me more, mom, I know that, you know, I am raising, I am influential to them. And a lot of what I do is for them, really, so that. So that they can see it, you know, black women have so many stories and knowledge and power and, and they would take it to the next generation. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Kimmy, for joining us today. It's been a, a pleasure to speak to you. Oh, no problem. Been a lovely talking to you and enjoying my dinner party. Thank you. <laughs>